morning. Morning. Not many smiles out there today. Good morning. Good morning. I am so looking forward to the next three weeks because uh, Remco is going to be speaking to us. Uh, he was one of the first people I heard speaking here, and I was so inspired by his message that first day that he was one of the first people I thought of for doing programs for us. And his message for the three weeks is going to be knowing who and whose we are. I think by the time we're our age, we know who we are, unfortunately. <laughs> but the whose we are, sometimes I have a little problem with that. You know, um, because we're because we belong to God, every place we go and everything we do reflects on that relationship, really. I was at work one day about a year ago, and I was really frustrated with some things that were happening. None my fault, of course. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> I uh, said a few explicatives that day. And my boss said to me, and you're the lady who goes to church? Well, I never even knew. That's kind of what he attributes to me. His expectations of me were different because of who I am. So I said, yeah, but just think of how bad it would have been (laughs) if I didn't go to church all the time. But it does remind us, no matter where we go, what we say, what we do, we are reflection on the person we have our primary relationship with, and that's with God. And so Remco is going to speak to us by himself today, and then in some of the other sessions, Jennifer's wife is going to join him. Remco, you want to come up? And Remco, if you'll, if you'll tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, okay? Okay. I'm Mike both ways. Step away. Does this work? Yes. Yes. Wow. That's awesome. I can walk around. Um. For those of you who are new to this class, my name is Remco Bromet, and um, I've we've uh, been together at this church for a couple of years now. And I work full-time for the city of Johns Creek as citizen's advocate, which is a uh, non-social worker way of saying that I'm a social worker. Um, and uh, I'm a chaplain for the fire department as well as the uh, police department and fire department of the city of Milton and the Chatcom 911 call center. So there's a couple of chaplaincy ministries in there as well. And uh, it's my privilege to be back with you. I always enjoy this class, and um, uh, it's been a while. And uh, it looks like you've moved up in the world. You now have a wireless thing and a grand piano, and, uh, and it's wow. We got all the here. Yeah, <laughs> apparently. So, so I'll have to yell into this thing a little bit louder, I guess. But uh, uh, I want to talk with you for the next couple of weeks about discovering your true identity, who and whose you are, because that message is is out there almost everywhere. I was. Uh, Listening to the radio the other day, and, and uh, Charles Stanley uh, did a, uh, a three-part series on discovering your true identity, and I hear it being preached and talked about everywhere. And of course, uh, this is the uh, the very message that drives the ministry that um, Jennifer and I have uh, together, True Identity Ministries, uh, and it's an important message. Um, yes, you can say that you pretty much know who you are, but do you really? Because who you are is connected to whose you are. And there seems to be a lot of confusion about that, even both inside and outside the church, about who we really are. What is our true identity, the identity that God has given us? 
Psalm 139, verse uh, 13 and 14 says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God has a blueprint, or had a blueprint, when he thought you up. You were an idea once in God's mind, and say, I'm going to make Bob, or I'm going to make Roger, or I'm going to make Ron or Pat. And they're going to be just like that. And he knows and has formed and has created and purposely put together every molecule in your body and every aspect of your personality trait, whether you know it or not. I look in the mirror in the morning and I think I'm more fearfully than wonderfully made, but that may not be the case with with, uh, all of you. That may have been God's plan for me. Um, But many of us walk around with a mistaken identity. Let me give you a little example of what a mistaken identity is. How many of you know the movie The Lion King? Yeah? How many of you have no idea what that is? <laughs> most of you have seen that, right? Okay, it's the story of uh, most of you who have grandchildren or had grandchildren. You, you must have sat through it at least five or six times. <laughs> if it was anything like my kids, like, let's watch it again. Let's watch it again. And we watched it six times a day until we could quote every line of the movie. Uh, but it's the story of the little lion named Simba, whose father uh, is the powerful Lion King Mustafa. And uh, he, of course, has an evil uncle, Scar, who is jealous of the power of uh, his brother and wants to usurp the kingdom and devises a plan whereby he puts Simba in harm's way, uh, puts him in a ravine with the help of some hyenas, unleashes a stampede of wildebeests, and then alerts Mustafa to go rescue the boy, which, of course, being the noble king that he is, he does, but he loses his life. In doing so, he rescues Simba, but gets um, trampled by the wildebeests as Scar kind of pushes his paws off the edge of the ravine. And then uh, Scar blames Simba for the death and says to him, it's your fault. And when Simba, who trusts his uncle, asks him, what should I do? He says, run away and never come back. Run away. It's your only hope. And so Simba runs away and he runs and runs and runs until he wears out and falls down in the desert and he gets rescued by this unlikely pair of a meerkat and a warthog who have a little uh, philosophy called Hakuna Matata, no worries, a problem-free philosophy, and he basically grows up thinking that he is a hybrid of a meerkat and a warthog and eats bugs and has no problems in his life. In the meantime, the kingdom under Scar goes to pot and... One of uh, Simba's um, childhood friends, Alinus, goes out to look for help and then runs into him. And then his world begins to unravel. And the point in the, point in the story is when the wise monkey Rafiki, the baboon, who is kind of the medicine man, runs into Simba and takes him to a pond and makes him look in the reflection of the water. And as he looks and looks, at first he sees his own reflection. But then as he looks harder, he sees the reflection of his father, Mustafa. And his reflection begins to talk to him. And it says, essentially, Simba, remember who you are. I live inside of you. You are the one true king. Remember who you are. And then the lights come on. And long story short, Simba realizes that he is not a warthog or a meerkat, but that he is... uh, 
the Lion King and he goes back and defeats his uncle Scar and becomes the next Lion King. But that's that whole uh, issue of having walking around with a set of lies about who you are and God having to rub our nose into what the Bible says who we really are. So the question of identity is important to us. Who am I? And what has God created me to be? And for men, it's often, do I have what it takes? That's our core question. And for women, it's it's very often, am I loved and am I lovely? Am I beautiful in the eyes of others? What is identity? How do you define it? There's a couple of definitions out there. First of all, the fact of being who or what a person or thing is. That's very helpful. Um, the state or fact of remaining the same uh, under varying conditions. The condition of being oneself or itself and not another. The distinct personality of an individual regarded as a persistent entity or individuality. What all these say essentially is that your identity is what makes you, you. There's only one of you in the universe. You may look a little bit like yourself. You may even have a twin somewhere, an identical twin that looks exactly like you. But you still act different. Your personality is different. Your emotional DNA may be different. Your soul DNA may be different. You're uniquely you according to how God has made you. God has formed you in a particular way. That's what we read a few moments ago in Psalm 139. So we've been made in God's image, and we are his primary instruments in ruling this earth. We all know that. That's what the Bible says. That's We are the only creatures that have been made in God's image. There's nobody else out there but us. And God has given us the task to rule the earth. <laughs> now, That begins, of course, with knowing who and whose we are. And that's vitally important. So here's a bit of strategy that comes up. God, just like the Lion King Mustafa, has an enemy. And that enemy is Satan. And Satan is after the kingdom of God. You may not have known this, but there's lots of analogy between the Bible and uh, and the Lion King, if you ever watched that. Um, Satan is after the kingdom of God. And what better way to usurp the kingdom of God than to confuse the identity of those that God has put in place to rule that kingdom, the people that have been created after his own image. And so the world and our environs are full of lies and deceptions and misconceptions about who we are and whose we are what our true identity is in Christ. Those, those deceptions are not just in the world. They're in the church as well. And you and I wrestle with those on a day-to-day basis. You just heard the story from Mary. She still wrestles with it. And and she is not unique. You have daily occurrences that, you know, kind of point to the fact that there may be things about you that you have misunderstood, that God wants you to know. And so that's essentially where our mistaken identity comes from. Satan has confused us, deceived us about who we are. Uh, some of you have heard Jennifer's story, and, and maybe she'll um, tell you again in, in the next couple of weeks. But in a synopsis, she was born with a cleft palate, with a birth defect. And that scar that she had defined who she was for a long, long time and caused all kinds of uh, skewed perceptions about what she could and could not do until God set her free and showed her who she really was in Christ. So where do we get that mistaken identity from? There's a number of uh, sources. First of all, uh, what our culture says about us. 
We are bombarded on a day-to-day basis with ads and commercials that hold out to us all kinds of unattainable ideals. You gotta look like this, or you gotta act like that, or you gotta own that, or you gotta drink that and eat that, otherwise you're just not making it in this world. This is your success, this is your ideal, this is who you're supposed to be. The rags to riches story, if you haven't started with seven cents and now have seven million dollars, you just haven't quite made it. Or the American dream, you have to have a house this big with a car or two and a dog and a couple of kids and and a white picket fence and a lake house and a boat and whatever, and that's the American dream. Our culture screams at us, that is your true identity, strive for it. Then there is, of course, what others say about us, and that actually goes a little bit deeper, especially our parents. Some people that have been very successful will testify to the fact, I I read about an actress this past week who has testified to the fact that she has become so successful because she grew up believing what her parents told her, that no door is ever closed and there's no limit to what you can do. And that gave her the confidence to be all that she could be. On the opposite side of that story, do you know that our jails are full? Our prison system in America is full. Do you know that one out of 100 Americans is incarcerated? That's a huge percentage. And I read a statistic not too long ago that 74%, they did a study on this, 74% of inmates in the American prison system, when asked how they got into a life of crime, pointed to the fact that either their father or their mother or both or a family member convinced them that they would never amount to anything in life. And so they started a life of crime. They took the identity of a criminal to maybe live up to that expectation or find a shortcut or do whatever. Sometimes it is our peers. I'm sure you've heard today that bullying is the number one concern in your teenage years and you've got your your social media network and teenagers uh, are going through an awfully difficult time when they reach high school, when they go through high school. We just had our daughter who graduated last year and it was like navigating the rapids all the way through, the emotional rapids, because of what peers say to each other. They get their identity for each other. And she is now absolutely convinced that she has certain disorders. Why? Because the teens are telling that to each other. And you're not somebody unless you have some sort of disorder and you take medication for it. It's almost like a badge of honor. So what your peers tell you can be equally powerful. Sometimes there can be confusion about church teaching, what the church teaches you that men and women should be, for instance. That women should always be subservient, that a woman's place should be in the home, that the men should be out working and making a living and should be this or that. Some churches teach that. Some churches teach nothing at all about what a man or a woman should be. And that causes confusion about what a Christian man and a Christian woman should be, who we should be. And then we are shaped by our environment. Did you grow up in the inner city? Did you grow up in an apartment complex? Did you grow up in the suburbs? Did you grow up in the country? You try to fit in where you grow up. That becomes your identity. What you wear, what you own, what your, your lifestyle forms you as well. For men, a lot of times our identity is formed by what we do. 
What's the first thing you say when you are in the workforce, though? Most of you are retired, probably. Or you're, well, you would say that, too. Hi, I'm Roger. I'm retired, right? <laughs> or, you know, hi, I'm so-and-so. I'm a salesman. What you do defines who you are. Well, sometimes, as men, in relation to that, what you have defines what you are as well. You don't say, hey, I'm Roger and I have a boat. But, um, <laughs> but you know, somewhere, you know, you, you invite people to your home and, and the home that you live in and what's parked in your driveway, etc. defines who you are as a person. And a lot of times we wrap our identity up in what we own. Men are particularly sensitive to that. For women, a lot of times it's outward appearance. You are what you wear. Whether it's on your face or on your body or in your ears or what you wear defines uh, who you are as a woman. And there are other sources like that. But the fact of the matter is that each of us have somewhere in our lives embraced a set of lies about our identity as human beings. However subtly it may be. And many of us struggle with those lies. In particular, lies that have formed themselves from what our parents have told us we were, or what family members have told us we were, and what we have come to believe about ourselves, regardless of what the scriptures say we are. And the result is that most of us um, have come to a place where we act according to that mistaken identity, and we pour our energy and resources into being someone God has never intended us to be. Let me give you a biblical, a biblical example that is... Clear as a bell, Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus who became the Apostle Paul. Before he became an Apostle, Saul of Tarsus was a Pharisee. And he was a Pharisee to the core, and he was a zealous Pharisee. And he thought that his mission in life and his purpose in life was to earn God's approval, to earn the approval of the, uh, the fellow Pharisees and the Jewish leaders by being zealously after the church and persecuting it to the core. And he thought he was doing God a favor. He thought he was God's gift to God, if you will. That was his identity. And he thought that God was pleased with him, that he was stomping out this new sect called the Way, because that was not, that was out of sync with Judaism, and Judaism was God's chosen religion. That was his identity, until Jesus met him face to face on the road to Damascus, and blinded him. And made him dependent and sent a, a prophet to him to pray over him. And the scales fell from his eyes as he writes later. And he began to see his true identity, namely that of an apostle to the Gentiles. An evangelist to the Gentiles, an instrument in God's hands. That is what God had created him for. He lived out of a mistaken identity. And you can be very successful living in a mistaken identity like Saul was like some of our millionaires are. I'm surrounded with millionaires in the city of John's Creek. They're everywhere, in huge houses, big cars, and they all live out of a mistaken identity, or most of them do, because they have no idea that they were created for a relationship with God. And they are sitting in a gilded cage, and someday when their lives end, eternal punishment awaits them. Mistaken identity, very successful mistaken identity. And so because we look to the wrong sources for our identity, uh, we feel unfulfilled. That's what it causes. Um, we're walking around with a sense of inferiority. We compare ourselves with someone else and we feel we come up short. How many of us haven't done that? I have done that. 
I've done that with people in ministry. I used to be jealous of people like Mike Long or John Piper or somebody. I thought, you know, by this age, I should be having a mega church or something, you know. And, and you start, you feel you, even in ministry, you can feel you come up short. And we've all done that. Like, man, I love that house. You get house envy and you start to become envious of other people. And you start to feel inferior to other people and say, how come that they were so successful? They had seven cents and now they had have seven million dollars. I had seven cents and I have seven hundred dollars. What went wrong? And we start to feel inadequate. Most of us feel that we have failed somewhere in life, whether it was at being a parent or being a Christian or being a successful professional or being a, you know, whatever. We have a sense of failure that comes with it and a sense of insecurity. Many of us harbor a deep sense of insecurity and fear as a result of that true identity because we are embracing something that we are not. And that can be anger. And that's especially the case for men. Because we are suppressing things that God hardwired into us. Like adventure, like leadership, like courage, like being a warrior. Things that we don't get to do. And we feel squeezed into a mold and we get frustrated about that mold and we become angry. What do you think the root cause is of all these people that grab a gun or an automatic rifle and go shooting innocent people? The root cause of that is mistaken identity. They have no idea who they really are and who God created them to be. If they knew that they had been uh, created for a relationship with God and were deeply loved by God, they wouldn't grab a gun and release their anger on other innocent people. That's a root cause of all this violence that we have, the anger that runs around in our society today. For women, the end result is often a deep sense of fear and inferiority about not living up to other people's expectations or not being accepted and loved for who you are. And for men, it is that we have no sense of what it means to be a man in God's eyes. Boys in today's society, that may have been different for you because it's uh, kind of deteriorated by the generations. Boys in today's society have not been taught by their fathers how to be a man. They don't know. And so we have a couple of generations of uninitiated men. It used to be that men were initiated into manhood. And by the time they reached manhood, they knew how to be a man. We don't have that anymore. Not in our society and not in the church. And curiously enough, when I talked to Paul Nujuna, the Kenyan pastor from DPTC, uh, Divine Providence Training Center, where we're going to teach this in June, he said it's the same thing in Kenya. Men used to be taught by their fathers how to be warriors and how to be farmers and how to be this and that, and they no longer are, and they come to the city and they, they try to look for a better life and are not finding it, and they so they just get drunk and unemployed, and they have no idea how to be men. So it is, for that reason, incumbent on the church to teach men and women who they are in Christ and who Christ is in us. How God sees us. What is God's perspective on who we are? Because that is truth and that sets us free from mistaken identity and from lies. And so for the next two weeks, we're going to unpack that further. Next week, we're going to talk about lies. 
Where is it that these lies are coming from, that these misconceptions are coming from? What is the anatomy of it? How do we come to embrace it and believe it? And how do we come to uh, then absorb it and make it our own and believe that it's truth? And more importantly, how do we recognize it and how do, how do we get free from them? And lastly then, week three, becoming true men and women of God. Who does the Bible say? Who does God say that we really are? And who is Christ in us? And how do we walk in that true identity? So um, I want to end with this. Um, you know, it's, it's always a mistake to say that your treasury is full when you have someone in the room that's in ministry. <laughs> so I have an opportunity. I did ask permission for this, and, and, and I was graciously uh, given permission. Um, I want to um, tell you that uh, True Identity Ministry started as a ministry for women. Um, Jennifer has been here and talked about that a couple of times. Until she went to Kenya and took a number of pastor's wives uh, associated with the Divine Providence Training Center, you're all familiar with that, um, through it. And they were so deeply affected by it that their husbands asked her, when are you going to get get this for the men? How can we get this? And so she came back with that sense of call, almost a Macedonian call, and God stirred in my heart to write true men, true identity for men, which is the same materials but geared towards men. And so this June, we're going to go back and uh, I'm going to go with Jennifer, and our goal is to take 75 Kenyan pastors and 25 more of their wives, so a, a total of 100 Kenyan leaders, through the true identity materials. Between Jennifer's first and second visit, she discovered that this has become a movement in Kenya beyond our wildest beliefs. A lot of these pastors' wives have taken their churches through it. They're saying it's transforming marriages, it's transforming their churches, it's transforming communities. They say they can't wait for us to come, for the pastors to go through it. It will transform men, they say. It could even transform Kenya. That's how powerful they see this message um, to be. And so we're going to go back. And that, of course, for that we have to raise support. So we have the uh, the campaign uh, starting now, uh, Sponsor a Kenyan. And we have some cards over there. Um, and uh, you could do this individually, or you could decide to contribute this, to this as a class as well, um, depending on, you know, how much you have in your treasury. But uh, $100, $100 will sponsor a Kenyan to go through it. And so our goal is to sponsor 100 Kenyans for $100 a piece. And that will pay for the trip, the materials, and everything else. And uh, as we have discovered, that's going to be a very, very powerful, uh, that's going to have a very, very powerful impact on the church and on society in Kenya that we are extremely excited about. We'll repeat this a couple of times. We want to give that to you as an opportunity um, if the Lord stirs your heart to give, um, that's fine. And we would uh, gratefully uh, receive that. You can come talk to us. Um, the other thing I want to hold out is for the ladies. Uh, there is another True Identity Retreat coming up in April, April 19 through 21. So if you, if this piqued your interest, unless I completely slaughtered it and you think <laughs> never again, uh, but if this piqued your interest, um, there are some of these over there as well. You can take a brochure. 
take that with you and consider attending a true identity retreat. I am doing one for Mount Pisgah Church as well on the same weekend, and that is open for uh, others, for men from other churches too. So men, if you guys want to go through a true men retreat, um, come and talk to me. I can get you information to that as well. Now let me pray for us as we close. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for this beautiful verse that we read this morning. Uh, the fact, the uh, incredible truth that you formed us in our mother's womb, that you know our every molecule, you know our every personality trait, and you designed us exactly according to your plan, not one of us alike. May we grow in that notion even this week. And I pray that uh, each of us will begin to examine our own hearts and and kind of look for misconceptions, things that we have embraced that are not of you, that are confusing us about who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us in preparation for the remainder of this teaching. May we grow in our true identity in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. We'll see you next week. Yeah, we're still live on this one. Thank you, Remco. We'll look forward to the next couple of weeks to find who we are and who we belong to. Our Bible verse this week was, Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. That's Isaiah 12:6, and that was a psalm of Isaiah's. We don't often think of him with psalms. This popped in my head as I was thinking about this Bible verse this week. When our kids were little, Jim 3, and those of you know, who know him would know, he particularly likes big old words. So we would have a lot of big old words floating around our house, and serendipity was one of them. So we kind of built that into a little bit of a family thing, serendipity actually meaning something you find kind of by accident while you were looking for something else, some information or a discovery. We changed it to mean something good that happened to you that day. So at dinner at night, we would talk about something that each person had who was that happened that they didn't expect to happen, but was good. So that was our way of shouting aloud and singing for joy. You don't have to do that by going down there in the middle of the comments and go, you know, like this. But think of the good that happens to you this week and shout to the Lord very quietly, thanking him for that good thing that happened in your life. So anyway, that's my little thought for the week, a serendipity. So have a great week.